It's that time again for our Women's Champions League episodes. Some of our best from last season, not just the numbers, but just we're like little kids in a candy shop with this Women's Champions League. It's insane. Um, we hope you're as excited as we are. We're like proper like <laughs> Jesse's dad right now. We're very excited. And OK, maybe I should sound more professional when I do this, um, when we do this podcast, because we just sound like little kids. Um, anyway. I'm joined today with, of course, the usual, um, Jesse Parker Humphreys and Abdullah Abdullah. Jesse, stop laughing at me. How are you? I just love you going straight in like, these were our best podcasts. I don't disagree, but I just really love the, the confidence. I'm into it. Yeah. Let's shoot our shot on the Women's Champions League. <laughs> Abdullah, how are you? As 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 excited as I can be at 11 p.m. at night, I'm I'm excited. I love these episodes. For me, it's it's uh it's it's some of the most competitive football that we get to see. And like we said, we can almost go on for hours if we had the time. Definitely, uh, we will have to. I think it's really hard to stay within a, a decent time limit that people don't have to listen to our voices for too long. But yes, for this first Women's Champions League episode of the season, we are showering you with listeners not showering you with listeners we are showering you with guest listeners and we asked on twitter a couple of days ago i think um a few things that maybe you guys wanted to hear more on the podcast uh things that you were interested in more and there was a high number of votes for more guests and well we've got four this week on this particular episode including jasmina schweimler we'll see if i got that right eventually German women's football journalist, Marc Andres Hissanz, Barcelona journalist. They've both been on the pod before. And new to the pod, um, Arvind, a football analyst, managing Madrid contributor. I completely got that wrong. That was weird. I apologize. And Real Madrid expert, of course. He is um, currently right now with us in a Real Madrid jersey. So that's pretty uh, obvious if you could see him in person. And finally, we have Ariana Scavetti, Lyon blogger. Before we get on to the actual talking and analyzing of, of the teams in the groups, just a quick summary on this new Women's Champions League group stage. Um, there are four groups, each with four teams. Um, each team will play each other twice, home and away matches, as you would in a regular group stage. Um, that's brand, brand new. The group stage will start on October 5th and end on December 5th. So quite a few months of really, really good football to look forward to. Um, the top two teams in each group will progress to the quarterfinals, which start next year in March. So a good few months of a lot to keep up on. Um, and of course, all streaming will be on the zone which is quite exciting. You don't have to go on any sketchy websites or any VPNs, just directly on YouTube for that. So that's quite good. But yeah, onto the actual group stage and talking about it. We've got a big episode for you talking about every single group and focusing on as many teams as we can. Um, unfortunately, we won't be able to, to kind of give and analyze on every single team in the group. If not, we would go on for probably 15 hours. Um, but we'll, we'll try to keep it concise and give you all the big kind of things to focus on, let's say. Our first guest on the podcast will be Um, football analyst and Real Madrid expert. How are you, Um? I'm doing good. Excited to ruin that streak of excellent all-time podcasts you guys have have, have, have running. Um, I'm honored to be on the critically acclaimed world-famous Box to Box <laughs> women's podcast, you know. <laughs> Lot heard a lot of good things about you guys. Heard some of the podcasts myself. Obviously, you guys were up for some award or something that 
you know, I, I didn't really keep track of, but I saw you guys were there. So that was good. It's good to see you guys getting recognition. The type, I think the type of stuff you, you guys do is, is really necessary for women's football. So yeah, glad to be on here and to talk about Real Madrid Femino as always. Definitely. And as a Barcelona fan, you know, I'm still happy that you're on the podcast. Um, no, I don't, think, I don't think the rivalry is there yet, just in the women's game. I think I can still appreciate Real Madrid. Um, I can't say the same about the men, though, so that's fine. Um, but yeah, Real Madrid are in Group B that consists of PSG, Real Madrid, Kharkiv and Breda Blik from Iceland. I don't know if I said that right, but... It's fine. Apologies to any Iceland listeners that we have on the podcast because I probably butchered that. But yes, first of all, we'll give a quick little introduction to Real Madrid in particular. Give a little bit more background that perhaps maybe a lot of people maybe didn't know. Real Madrid was officially established in 2020. And that's when um, Real Madrid simply just bought an already existing team in Primera Iberdrola called CD Tacón who, might I add, had the worst, worst badge in the history of women's football. Um, You can go Google that for yourself and tell us what you think about that. But yeah, you know, new team, but not necessarily new team. You know, Real Madrid, um, kind of like a Manchester United that, I mean, I think better than Manchester United at this point in time, Um, but kind of the same big club. They were able to establish women's team and and really invest in the players and the stadium and and everything around that. But um, can you kind of sum up this current Real Madrid team for us? Yeah, so I think one of the key things to understand is there's a very kind of open emphasis on a Spanish core. It's something Arancha Rodriguez mentioned in one of her Twitch streams, and she's been a Real Madrid commentator. And just the way Real Madrid tend to disseminate news for some reason is is almost through her as kind of a proxy. And she, she kind of mentioned really openly that that's the focus of Real Madrid's squad building strategy. So you have you have like a lot of the, that Spanish core coming in from last season. So veterans like Ivan Andres, Marta Corredera, Marta Cardona. And then you have like a, a core of rising young Spanish talent carried over from last season, like Misa, um, our goalkeeper, Olga Carmona, Maite Rose, Teresa Aballera, and then some Spanish players who are also young, promising, but more in the rotation, like Lorena Navarro and Claudia Florentino. And then, like, we've continued that trend with a lot of this, this, these transfers. So six of the eight transfers kind of fall under this, this Spanish core remit with the vet, with veterans like Naikari Garcia, Esther Gonzalez, Claudia Zornoza, more proven, you know, top-class talent. And then, you know, as usual, the promising young ones like Atenea del Castillo, Lucia Rodriguez, and Rocio Galvez. And so that's like the main core of the team you carried over from last season with a couple foreign supplements. So everyone knows Aslani. There's also Kenti Robles. Bobbitt Peter, Aureli Kasi, and then a couple of transfers um, this season, um, like Meline Gerard would be you know, kind of like the veteran goalkeeper kind of coming in to back up or compete with Misa. And then funnily enough, really the only, I think, one promising young talent we signed that's foreign is Caroline Muller Hansen. And the rest of it is just, you know, it's, it's a heavy emphasis on building a Spanish core. Um, I, I say tactically, it, it's kind of difficult to describe where we are at the moment. We're, because of all the, the new signings, we're a very different team. We're forming a new identity, trying to find a balance and attack. So far, we're, we're kind of like a 4-4-2, 4-2-3-1 team that's been, you know, kind of defensively oriented just based on the matchups we had, like mid-block, the high-pressing team that's been really dual-focused. And, you know, at the moment, I'd say we kind of lack sophisticated solutions in possession, just mainly looking to play wide, explore our quality there, which is something that's kind of carried over from last season. 
And I guess kind of the other things to know about Real Madrid in the current moment is, is we have a lot of injury issues. I'm not going to list all of them because there's a lot. They change from day to day. But the real big one is Marta Cardona, a meniscus injury. She's going to continue to be out for quite a while. She was easily our MVP last season. And that, I mean, that's a huge miss. Like she's, she's a hell of a player and all these injury issues kind of tie into, despite eight signings, we have a lack of depth in key areas. So we still haven't signed a left back. Um, it's never from my knowledge, what I understand behind the scenes, there's never actually been, you know, a real strategy to target left backs. So we, we have none. And so we've just been putting makeshift players there. We've transferred Car- Carmona to, to the fullback position and it's, it's taken away from depth out wide, which is an issue when Cardona's injured. So we actually also lack depth out wide because of the left back situation. And then we only have four central midfielders, no defensive midfielder. So even a couple of them get injured. We're put in a tough situation. So the last draw versus Granadilla we only had one central midfielder who could start and we had to put Claudio Florentino as a center back in the double pivot. So like, just to kind of sum up, we're, we're in a transitionary period right now, trying to manage, you know, the new signings, trying to incorporate them, injuries, depth issues, finding a new tactical identity, all while trying to manage this other competition, the champions league, which so far seems to be pretty tough for us. And I know has been a common thing for women's teams who kind of enter the champions league. So that's kind of where we're, where we're at at the moment. I think Barcelona have proven that Spanish quarters uh, can go far in the champions league, but yeah, before we get to the upcoming matches, let's ponder on what Real Madrid has done so far in the women's champions league. Um, I think any excuse to mention their win over Manchester city. Um, sorry, Manchester City fans probably won't be listening to this because it is Champions League episode. So, anyway, <laughs> sorry, that was that was too cheeky not to not to, to not say. It. I apologize. Yes, so obviously Real Madrid did knock out Manchester City, winning two one on aggregate. Um, obviously the the first leg in Madrid was Real Madrid's first ever Women's Champions League match, uh, their debut in the competition, and. They managed a 1-0 win um, in Manchester after a 1-1 draw in Madrid, um, which could have gone completely different if Manchester City would have held on to their 1-0 lead in Madrid because Genti Robles um, managed to equalize in the 92nd minute, which obviously changed everything in the second leg. But yeah, it's 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 a huge result. You know, a lot of... Um, we'll, we'll get into this a bit. Um, just wanted to get your general thoughts on this particular match of Real Madrid-Manchester City. You know, a lot of the English media and some fans wrote off Real Madrid for this tie because they're newbies in the competition. As you mentioned, you know, they're not the most established team in terms of tactics and and kind of players that they have and, and everything that they want to be as a big name. And they're obviously not in the WCL either. So English media automatically knocks them off the, the grid there. Um, but yeah, maybe just didn't give enough credit to Real Madrid ahead of this Manchester City tie. So what are your thoughts on this and on both legs against Manchester City? Yeah, so I, I definitely do think there's like this English media bias, which is just part of football as a whole, especially if you're the English speaking sphere, like England is kind of the center of all of that. So naturally there's going to be a bias to the domestic end and you know, I, I don't even think we need to look at this to see that. I think we saw it more clearly with Barcelona last season, a very clear cut case of 
one of the most dominant sides I've ever seen, maybe the greatest single season performance in the history of women's football from, from a club side. I mean, they're, they, they were absolutely outstanding. And I kind of went into the Champions League thinking, well, surely they're the favorites, but talking to people, I was like second guessing myself, like I'm, I'm missing something. Like, you know, people are saying Man City have a really good chance. Chelsea are going to beat them. And then we kind of saw what actually happened in the Champions League. And, you know, some of that's English media bias. And, and, I, and I think it's less malicious, but just, you know, a kind of lack of interest in investigating, though it's it's probably not all that because, you know, Vicky Lasala should have known better. She played in Spain. I know she's pro Barca, but to say kind of what she said before before the games about, you know, Real Madrid inexperienced, you know, it, it seems like it's going to be kind of an easy game and City are going to win the Champions League. That hasn't aged well. I think some of it is just the fact that we were an unknown. So there's not a need to have this huge chip on our shoulder. I, I think it's, I, I think it's kind of like both factors put together. Um, though I will say like one thing that irks me a little more is, is like we often just talk in cliches, especially in English media about, you know, competitiveness and how there's just like almost this fundamental aspect of like English identity that is more competitive. Like I keep hearing the WSL is the most competitive league in the world. And I think it's a great league, but I mean, it doesn't even bear, bear out in the table, right? Like last season there was the top four and then there was a huge fall off to everything in fifth by 15 points. Chelsea won 81% of their matches. City won 77%. Both teams only lost once. And then people kind of looked at Premier Bordeaux and they're like, well, Barca are dominant. And so therefore it's not a serious league. The reason Barca are dominant is because, you know, they're the best team in the world by far. If you look from second to seventh last season in the table, the biggest drop-off from any one side is from third to fourth with Atleti being seven points off of off Levante. That was the biggest drop-off. And the average distance, you know, if you go down two to three, four, five, six, seven, like that, the average distance was only 3.5 points. The last couple of seasons, Primera Bordola has been incredibly competitive around the Champions League spots because teams are very close to each other, right? Real Madrid has only just kind of got into it and started soaking up talent from elsewhere. And I mean, Spain just has fundamentally excellent domestic talent. Like, I don't know if this is a controversial opinion, but currently I believe the Spanish national team is probably the best in the world. And, you know, it's it just, I think you just, if you got to look at, the easiest way to kind of, if you don't really know that much about a team, you haven't really followed them to know where they're kind of at is to just look at the talent on hand. And sure that takes a certain level of education from you. And, you know, I know, I know Real Madrid had injuries going into the game. Both sides had injuries. City had Walsh, Bronze out. We had Cardona out. We had Maite Rose out. Aslani could only come on as a sub in the second leg due to COVID. But we had Kenti Robles. We had Ivana Andres. We had Claudia Zornoza. We had Olga Carmona, Ateneda del Castillo, Teresa Abeira, Naikari Garcia, Esther. A lot of these are names that you should probably know if you call yourself a women's football fan. Like these are high quality players. And so if you just look at it, look at it like that without knowing anything else, you should you should have known that this would have been competitive two legs. I'm not saying that means we would be favorites. I personally thought City would go through by slim margins. But when you just compare the squads, I think there was enough there in Real Madrid's available lineup to say, okay, they can they can make this tough. Um, and then like in terms of like, I think that was borne out in, in the actual legs. And I, and I think some of maybe this, this arrogance came from actually not introspecting on the flaws that city had. So I think in the first leg, we exposed city's limitations in possession. I know they were without Walsh. I know no preseason, 
But this goes back to last season for me, right? I think they're they're pretty limited in a lot of their patterns, right? They kind of have, you know, fundamentally sound, but they just only rely on like the same third player patterns all the time. They try to access wide areas a little too predictably. And we came in with a fantastic defensive scheme, a 4-4-2 high pressing scheme that shut shut it all down, right? We knew exactly what their patterns were going to be. We were compact in the center. And, you know, we press like our lives depended on it. It was a very, very good performance. And from there, we were kind of able to facilitate transitions and cause turnover after turnover that led us to having a far superior performance, in, in my opinion, the first leg, which was not reflected on the scoreline. And so if there was going to be one surprise, it's I actually didn't expect that level of tactical sophistication for us. So I'm not saying all of it should have been predicted, but it's not, it's not a, a complete surprise to me because Real Madrid have the talent. City have certain limitations that I think we exposed. And the second leg, I do think it was far more even, mainly because we were the more passive. We were a little bit more passive. We couldn't go in with the same level of intensity away from home. And because all of our offense depended on turnovers and, and, and we were sitting off a little bit more, we just, we just weren't able to create as many chances. And so it was kind of a stalemate uh, with both sides not being able to create that much. And then we ended up being able to capitalize on the one chance. I think... Some of this could have been predicted if there was a level of honesty about, you know, some tactical flaws with City. Then, you know, being honest about the fact that, yeah, they have the, they had their own issues coming to the season with injuries, et cetera, et cetera. And then just looking at Real Madrid squad and respecting the talent we had. I think Athena del Castillo is one who kind of proved herself on the big stage. You know, as young as she is, this is the type of talent we have in the squad. And on our day, we can we can compete with most everybody, maybe not as favorites. Besides Barcelona, obviously. Yeah, you mentioned there something quite interesting about to put it on a very bland way manner to say it meant how boring Man City plays sometimes. Uh, the predictability of kind of what they want to do and the key players that they always want to target. Um, I think we saw that with Barcelona when they won 4 0 in particular. Um, they shut down a lot of Man City's play. Um, obviously, Man City still tried to, still were able to get behind, obviously, with the players that they have and stuff. But I think it was big in that particular game. Um, but we'll go, Jesse, we're, we're going to go on to you now. Um, but we've briefly mentioned some Real Madrid players here and there on the podcast, most notably uh, Aslani, who's obviously Swedish, and we love the Sweden team. Um, it's no secret on this podcast. Um, but there's also former Arsenal player Marta Corredera in the squad. And then you have the likes of Esther Gonzalez, who is performing really well with the national team so far. But yeah, I think you mentioned that there are, I think that we can all agree that we probably wouldn't would have had Man City as favorites, but just marginally and just because of the players and the depth that they have in the squad. Um, Real Madrid are obviously, as we keep mentioning, they have really great players, but they're still establishing themselves. And then when you have a player like Bunny Shaw, for example, you would have at least expected Man City to score a bit more and then have it been more of a reactive game for Real Madrid, for example. Um, but Jesse, now that we've seen a bit more of Man City this season, um, particularly you know, the struggle in the league after they lost to Spurs, lost to Arsenal now, um, what are your reflections now when you look at when you look back against this match um, against Real Madrid? Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways what we've seen from Man City in, in some of the games that have come since in the WSL, you can kind of see the roots of in those Real Madrid games. You know, I think most specifically that lack of fluidity going forward when it comes to creating big chances and then an ability to to take those chances, you know. Um, 
and that's something that's kind of carried on in into the into the WSL, you know, excluding the Everton game where they scored four. But even if you look at the underlying numbers there and the way Everton played, it's more like those chances were handed them to them on a dish. But basically every other game they've they've come up against so far this season, they've really struggled to create anything. And clearly Taylor doesn't really know how to use short and white together. So I think, you know, having said that and having thought about that, obviously it's easy to say in hindsight, um, but it does feel like it it was reasonable for Real Madrid to win because, you know, I feel like given also City's inability in the Champions League for a number of years, for all they talked about feeling confident, I think they recognised that this was still a tricky draw against a team who, yeah, had a lot of talent on the pitch. And it kind of proved that they don't really, City, I think, have a huge amount of their belief themselves that they could go and win that those games. So... You know, I, I think it, it's interesting. I think it was obviously a really important win for Madrid as a club. You know, like it, it's a great team to have beaten. Like it, it's a great way to start your, you know, your time in the Champions League. Um, you know, it's obviously been interesting looking at Real Madrid's form in their league and also thinking about, you know, what that says about both teams as well. I think really maybe both teams came a bit high into that game and now we're kind of seeing how stuff plays out and, it feels like that game kind of lived in its own strange ecosystem. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how Real Madrid cope within the group. I think when those groups came out, I was feeling quite good about them, you know, maybe being able to do something quite exciting. I think, you know, now having having seen some of the league performances, it's going to be a bit more of an interesting wrinkle. But um, yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how they go. Abdullah, we know that, you know the talent we've been talking about the talent that Real Madrid have so far um on this but going forward we saw how they defended against Man City you know we mentioned it a bit here how they nullified a lot of the attack and the threat um same as a lot of teams before that um it's safe to say that they showed a lot of defensive acumen and kind of the application as we mentioned to nullify everything that Man City does and kind of be able to withhold that second in particular, as Om mentioned also, they were a bit more passive in the away leg and kind of just taking the shock of City's attack and, and using that counter, um, that counter attack to kind of get the best of them. How do you think they'll fare against other sides defensively? And are there any specific players that stand out to you? Yeah, no, I think I think that 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 two-legged tie really showed that this team can dig deep and 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 sit back if need be, and, and I think that's going to come uh, that's going to come full circle if they do progress to the group. I think when we when when the group came out, um, it, it was it was really actually a very competitive group and and one that I think a lot of people thought, and I think I think some of us were talking about it where, you know. Real Madrid could easily top this group because we said, like you know, like we, we've we've talked about in the past, and I think we'll talk about it later. PSG aren't the same PSG side as last season. They've had a lot of their players, you know, uh, moved on, uh, either gone to Leon or, or or elsewhere, and maybe Real Madrid don't have to be as defensive as they were in that second leg. But the fact that they've got this, you know, all mentioned, they've got this four four two high press. They they really have this like triggered man marking system and especially the the double pivot they, they were excellent kind of keeping keeping the central areas kind of kind of locked down and kind of letting letting the opposition in that case city going out wide and trying to get crosses in obviously against for example psg that's going to be it's going to be tricky because if you've got to defend against baltimore you've got to defend against diani then i think you know the fullbacks have to be really on it and 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 
probably if I had to call any, and then I say, you know, in, in, in air quotes, the weakest part of the team were the fullbacks in that game against Man City. But then if you've got the strong core of um, two centre-backs, you know, including Ivana Andres, who's, who's fantastic in that game, and you've got that double pivot, then, then, then you'd be... You, you know, you as Real Madrid, you back yourself to 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 stop Katoto and and maybe Sarah Dabritz coming in from midfield to kind of to make those late runs. But I think I think they've got the they've got the formula, they've got the recipe to be able to defend well, and they've got the potential to counter attack teams and beat them on the break. I think it just comes down to maybe not taking as much pressure and kind of being able to play out and relieve that pressure rather than just sitting back and taking in for 40, 50, 60 minutes. And um, when you look at Real Madrid in the league, you know, the results aren't always the most consistent um, and telling about the team in particular, you know, when, just to put it into a perspective here, um, August 31st, Man City, Real Madrid, 1-1 draw. You know, a few days later, they lose 4-0 to Levante. Then a few days later, they beat Man City 1-0. And then a few days later, they lose 2-0 against Atletico Madrid. Um, so kind of a, an up and down there between league and Champions League. And, you know, we, we keep talking about the players and the quality and the results. You know, they still managed to finish second place last, last season, obviously four points against Levante in third. But what is the biggest characteristic about this team that might need improvement to be able to play at their best football with the players that they have consistently throughout the league and the Champions League? Yeah, I think we need to find a way... Um, obviously there's a physical aspect, but mentally to be able to maintain that focus and intensity that we showed in the Champions League, because we just switched off in, in the league games. Like Granadilla wasn't good either. We were outplayed and we kind of saved ourselves at the end. And that I think is a big challenge. And I'm not super sure how we'll do that. It's 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 a learning process. You just have to go through it. This is part of being a new team. Um, what I will say is more in our control is our, our mechanisms in possession play. I feel like that's against set blocks. I think that's kind of where our biggest limitations lie carrying over from last season. And, you know, this is partly matchup based, but so far all of our success to start the season has come from defense and the offense that has been generated from being able to generate turnovers and, and counterattack and stuff like that as the front foot team, I haven't seen anything yet. It's still early on, but you know, I'm, I'm also ta- I'm also talking about last season as well, and we, we still have the same coach. I know we have a new assistant coach who's more tactically astute, but fundamentally, he David is not as the guy in charge, and I've yet to see us really, you know, kind of develop something sophisticated and creative in possession to break teams down. Um, you know, in, in a way, we're kind of akin to City in terms of our limitations, though, you know, we honestly have like less kind of like automatisms that our style is based on. It's a lot more free flowing and undecided. At least they have like up back throughs and stuff like that. that we don't use consistently. The one time I felt like we had something was the when we when we've gone four four two diamond, which more feels like because we just have players naturally occupying beneficial spaces based on the lineup selection and just like basic instruction. And then, you know, player tendencies come together to, you know, to, to make things work. But I really feel like we, we lack a cohesive strategy to disorganize defenses. And that's, what's going to determine the ceiling of this team, because we can defend, we can be on the back foot against teams that we consider superior or the favorites. And we prove that we can do stuff well, but as a team that wants to continue to go up and up and be considered a favorite in the competitions they're in, we're going to have to be the side that has more of the possession that has to control the game more. 
And we need to develop something more than just kind of playing wide and relying on the individual superiorities of our wide players. If we want to be able to consistently maintain a certain level across multiple competitions. And then, you know, all of that ties into, you know, we got to sort out the, the mechanics and the chemistry of a lot of these signings. And it's not an easy job, right? There's a whole debate going on right now about whether Esther Gonzalez is compatible with Aslani, Naikari. And it's, it's a bit of a complicated debate because they have different tendencies and, you know, you, you, you gotta be able to figure that out within the framework of, you know, a cohesive, you know, well-designed possession based structure. And it's tough to aggress, but I really believe it's got to get better um, if we're if we're to go places, if we're to keep our place in the Champions League spots this season, if we're to go far in the Champions League and then obviously in the future. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's the fundamental thing that needs to be improved. And like I said before, it will determine the ceiling of this team. You, you can only go so far if you don't really have that. Yeah, I mean, you definitely know Real Madrid better than we do. So we'll take your word for everything you say at the moment. But before we get on to our group predictions, how do you, I don't know, um, do you watch uh, Real Madrid on YouTube, on their streams, on their main channels when you watch them? Are you going to ask about the commentators on Twitch? <laughs> I think I think we have to. I think that was one of the highlights of Twitter on the day of women's football fans and kind of, yeah, I was watching it with them as well on, I was I was actually in Spain on the bus and I looked like an idiot laughing at my phone in the middle of the bus station because I I mean, I love them. They're literally the, the most like, I mean, the commentating was itself was really amazing. You can tell that she knew a lot about the team, but then the emotion was just amazing. So I don't know if it, um, Jesse wanted to know if you know anything about them, if you want to say their names. I don't know if you know them. But Will yeah. we see them again? That's what I want to know. I know it's on Dazan. Like, are we going to get them? I, I need them. <laughs> I, I know their first names, Paula and Raquel. I forgot their last name, so apologies for that. I don't think they're going to be showing up anywhere else. Real Madrid like really have a tight leash, you know, with people who work for them. It's not as good of a job as people think. You can't always say what you think. Got to be tight to the chest. And, you know, besides the whole Arancha Rodriguez thing, which is a whole other discussion in the relationship she has, you know, Real Madrid just in general are not the type of club that's very accommodating and free about media and like lending people over. I don't know. Maybe they can sort something out. The zone can come <laughs> in and like, can, you know, offer some money or something. It would be really cool to see. Well, we'll start games. a petition on Twitter. I think everyone would. Yeah, <laughs> the power of women's Twitter. We will see them again. We have we, we to. All, we all know Florentino Perez cares a lot about public opinion and reacts to it really well. Um, they, they were great. You know, I, I think it they, they represent presented the kind of passion that the fan base has for for this team and you know it, it was it was a good representation of the club I think which we really needed because to be completely honest it's not every time that we do our our ultimate best you know when 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 representing this team in public when it comes to sharing information when it comes to the quality of the streams you know and and that's something that really needs to improve and I think this is part of it this is a good start you know have people who know what they're talking about who have a clear passion for the team and you know, can create this sort of feeling not just with the fans but you know, from everyone else, right? Like all I saw that day besides rounded fans celebrating was like, everyone was like, I love these, you know, I love these women. Like, that, I mean, that's a good thing. It's it's a good start, right? These are the types yeah. of things you should be doing with our women's team. And it's easy. It's easy, um, you know, promotional stuff that, that, that does good stuff for the team. So I hope to see them on like, you know, more La Liga stuff. But Champions League, I don't know about that. If Real Madrid don't have the rights, which they don't, I, I, I don't have greatest news about them coming back. 
It was, it was worth mentioning. But before we say bye, we'll do quick predictions on the group. Kind of a reminder of the group B is PSG, Real Madrid, Kharkiv and Breidablik from Iceland again. Um, Jesse, we'll start with you. Quick prediction, predictions of top two, if you want, you can mention the, the three and four as well. Yeah, I'm going to give this one to PSG, I'm afraid. I just think that front three is going to be too good for Real Madrid across across the two games. Um, so, yeah, PSG won. I think Real Madrid will get through as two. I'm going to back Zitolobud one Kharkiv to come third. The Ukrainian oh, team. <laughs> yeah, well, it's important because there are two Zitolobud Kharkivs called Can I just say that, Jesse? did and Ukrainian two. women's football research before the podcast. Yeah, so I know a lot about them. <laughs> Little Bud 1 are unsurprisingly the originals, um, but Little Bud 2 are their enemies uh, in Ukraine. Um, that, but I'm backing Little Bud 1 to come third and Ryder Blick to come fourth. Amdura? Yeah, I'm, I'm going I think, to... I think I said this earlier, I'm going to give Real Madrid top spots because I think a counter-attack is going to come through from somewhere because of this solid defence and then maybe PSG get caught on the counter and then they just, just defend for their lives, which they proved against Man City. So I think Real Madrid top, PSG come second. I'll give Brida Blick third and then we'll go Kaku fourth just to be different. Um, Real Madrid first? Uh, yeah, I think I put them first, not just because, you know, I'm a homer, but I think it would be the most Real Madrid thing ever to continue to shit the bed in the league and then come out and, you know, do their absolute best in the Champions League, like out of nowhere, like completely inexplicable. And, you know, the manager comes in and says it's Champions League DNA or some bullshit like that. So, I mean, that's just, I, I, there's that, but also I do think that, you know, we have, I think currently the way I see the team, we're suited to being the more reactive side. Don't force us to find, you know, complicated solutions in possession. Let us do our defensive thing. You know, let our, our talented attackers get on, get out on the break. And then because PSG got weaker from last season, I, I don't think it's ridiculous to say that Real Madrid can finish first. So, yeah, that's what I go with. PSG second. And I don't really know anything about the other two teams, so I'm not going to pretend to know how to place them. I just think they're coming third and fourth. Well, you know, we have a thing on this podcast of manifesting vibes into the world. So I don't know if Jesse's vibes are going to be manifested or even more or if yours are going to be manifest more but either way you heard it here first if Real Madrid top the group unpredicted it first on this podcast but yeah we're looking forward to it and definitely looking forward to PSG Real Madrid in particular for every single reason that we talked about in this podcast so far um, but yes thank you again Om for coming on the podcast and yeah really enjoyed your insight it was great talking to you guys It wouldn't be a Women's Champions League without a chelsea Wolfsburg matchup at some point, whether it be group stage, newly formed group stage, or the knockout stage. Um, but we've got one of the best Wolfsburg journalists back on the podcast again for a second time. Welcome back, Jasmina Schweimler. I hope I pronounced that right again this time around. Um, how are you? That was still perfect. I'm still recovering from a cold, but there's no way I'm saying no to you inviting me. So thanks for having me again. No, we really appreciate that. We've, uh, yeah, it's probably, as we mentioned, I think at the beginning of this episode, it's probably one of our most enjoyable podcast episodes that we have in the season, especially now with all the really good matchups. And obviously, again, Chelsea Wolfsburg, as you know, or as you maybe don't know, Abdullah and Jesse are both Chelsea fans on this podcast. So I need someone from the opposing team to back me up sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, looking at Wolfsburg and kind of that's where your, your obviously expertise is and kind of seeing them more obviously in person. You get to go to all the games in person and kind of see them progress more than we do. 
But yeah, we saw last season that Chelsea won 5-1 on aggregate over Wolfsburg. I think I remember we spoke about it on this podcast, maybe after our preview with you, Jasmina, but it was also the fact that Chelsea and Emma Hayes, I think as Jesse mentions um, in this podcast also, that Emma Hayes benefits a lot from a second game against a team. Um, the first game, maybe, I remember the first leg being a bit rough against Wolfsburg and then kind of the second leg, Chelsea were more dominant after Emma Hayes. It kind of got her head around what to expect and, and what to throw at them and the weaknesses and stuff. Um, but just, you know, you know, in general, we'll start with a general question about Wolfsburg. They've offloaded a couple of players, brought in a couple of players, um, probably for our listeners, the most Notable one would be Joe Ward from Arsenal. Um, she's back in the Bundesliga. I don't know what you think about her. I think we all have the same opinion about Joe Ward and Arsenal that it didn't really click as much as it probably should have. But yeah, you know, new players coming in, just a new Wolfsburg of having beaten, be, beaten by Bayern Munich last season. What can you say about this Wolfsburg side compared to last season? That's a good question. I still think they're a little bit unpredictable. I mean, they had a good start to the season, still unbeaten in the league and in the German Cup, obviously advanced to the group stage, which was a big goal for them. Um, They had seven players leaving and eight coming in, if I'm correct. But I think the biggest change is not the players leaving and coming in. It's more that they have a new head coach and almost a whole new trainer stuff so that's a lot of changes and I think a lot of people underestimate what comes with it there's new trust that needs to be built there's a new system that they need to get into so I think that's the biggest challenge and that's what they're still dealing with um, they're still kind of sloppy in the back line they moved Lena Oberdorf back as CB which I'm not necessarily a big fan of I think she's a bit wasted there um, and yeah Gerard is the star signing if you say so um, she has a lot of freedom in this Wolfsburg game and I think that's exactly what she needs um, she's had a lot of impact already scoring goals assisting goals you know uh, having a good eye for her teammates so I think they 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 started well um, still can improve a lot um, and I'm excited to see how they they will do because I think the biggest challenges are still waiting yeah, I spoke about it with Mia Erickson, um, who also has a podcast coming out. I'll shout, I'll shout that out. It's called Their Pitch. It should be really interesting. But I spoke with Mia briefly about Lena Oberdorf and how it's almost of a waste uh, to have her in that centre-back position, especially after you lost Ingrid Engen as that number six role. Um, so it's quite interesting to see defensively in the midfield how Wolfsburg do this season in particular. Um, but Jesse, similar question for you, though Chelsea are kind of the opposite, kind of keeping everything the same with very minimal kind of switch in players. Obviously, you know, Hannah Blundell offloaded uh, to Manchester United. One of kind of the biggest signings, um, apart from academy signings, was um, Anik Nouwen from, she came from... The Dutch, I PSV. It might have been yeah, PSV. I wasn't sure if it's Ajax or PSV, um, but that, that was kind of the biggest signing that Chelsea did. Um, obviously, failed to recruit a fullback where they clearly need some help. But yeah, di- very different to Wolfsburg and what Jasmina mentioned there. Do you see Chelsea different from last season, including you know that three in the back? You can mention also as a difference from last season. But how do you see them compared to that Wolfsburg win last season in the Champions League? Yeah, I mean, the three at the back is definitely the key change. I think from looking at it so far this season, it feels like it's really freed up Pini Lahada a lot more, um, something Wolfsburg will be very familiar with. But I think we're definitely seeing her much more at the level that maybe we expected when she initially came into the side. I feel like last season she was a bit hamstrung by where Emma Hayes wanted to play her. 
But I think this 3-4-3 gives her, you know, the opportunities to do that kind of pressing work that we know she's really good at. We've always known she's a really hard worker, but also, you know, a lot more freedom to interact with Sam Kerr, Frank Kirby, um, for those three to rotate. And just to get on the ball higher higher up the pitch, I think, you know, I think we've already seen her shots increase, her shot location, the distance decrease. Um, so I think that's all bodes really well for Chelsea. But, you know, I think... Clearly, we've seen in, at the start of the season the frailties that, you know, Chelsea were exposed by all the way from the quarterfinals of the Champions League to the final still remain. And that has primarily been in those fullback positions. Unfortunately, aside from the Arsenal game, which was obviously kind of the first time Chelsea were testing out this wingback um, solution, I guess, to that problem. Uh, although, as I say, I feel like it's almost been more aimed at setting harder free than maybe solving the fullback problem. You know, that was the Arsenal game was the first time and it, it just didn't really work, to be honest. They were still totally exploited in those positions and the two games they've played since then, Everton and United have been absolutely hopeless. So <laughs> we've not really seen it tested yet. It's going to be, you know, intriguing because Wolfsburg got a huge amount of joy there um, last season. They just could not put away any of those chances. Um I think if we played that game again, Wolfsburg would probably have thrashed Chelsea, to be honest. It just felt like there was some weird magic keeping Chelsea in that game. Uh, although, uh, you know, as, as we said, the second leg, Chelsea were a lot better. So, yeah, um, I think Chelsea haven't really solved any of their defensive issues, but they probably have got better going forward. Particularly last season when we were analysing the Wolfsburg-Chelsea game. Um, I think it was merely a case of Wolfsburg just unable to finish all their chances. They were absolutely having a joy. They got so many chances, you know, hit the crossbar a couple times. It, it wasn't a, a fairly straightforward win for Chelsea, let's say that. But Jasmine, having spoken about both teams more or less now, giving that introduction, that very basic general introduction onto both sides, give you an idea of each side. How do you see Wolfsburg handling themselves in this group in particular? Obviously, the big headline that probably most newspapers will play on again is Pernilla Harder playing against her former club Wolfsburg. But then outside of Harder and Chelsea and, and what Jesse mentioned of Chelsea being really good in attack and letting Harder have that very free role that perhaps suits her a bit more than it did last season. Um, but at the end of the day, Juventus isn't really an easy task either overall. Yes, not necessarily the same level as Chelsea, but Juventus have been pretty solid. They did pretty solid against Lyon last season. So, you know, Wolfsburg, if they don't perform at the best, if they're, as you mentioned, you know, very unpredictable. And if they do drop points against Juventus, they do run the risk of Juventus leaving that second place spot. Because um, at the end of the day, the possibility is that Wolfsburg and Juventus lose both um, games against Chelsea. And then it's kind of more about the results on that game. Um, I don't know what you think about that. I do think it's a group they can manage and where they should have the ambitions to at least become second. Um, Chelsea probably being the biggest task. I mean, in the past years around this stage, you had games where the first leg almost always got a clear result and the second leg mostly didn't matter anymore, which meant that you could rotate a lot and rest players. And now you don't have that. And I think combined with the fact that so many players left and you have a new coach and new staff and new ideas, that's going to be really challenging for them, especially if you take the game against Bordeaux, there was this situation where Dominic Janssen and Amut Schutt both wanted to catch the ball and it re resulted in a goal. And it's like this, this in counterattacks is still very sloppy. So 
if they don't manage to, you know, stabilize a little bit, it's, it's going to be hard. But I do think, uh, especially considering how much experience they still have in the team and the ambitions they set themselves, um, they do have a realistic chance to advance even further. And I think that's also where they belong still. You know, no matter how many players leave and come in, they they are still among the best in Europe and the world. So I'm very confident still. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I think we can agree that Wolfsburg are kind of one of the, you know, rivalries aside, Wolfsburg always going to be kind of the one of the legendary uh, teams in Europe in particular. Um, So I think we can all back Wolfsburg always. It's just, yeah, just a matter of similar to what we talked about with Barcelona also. It's, you know, it's it's football at the end of the day and anything can happen on the day. On paper, I think we can all agree that, yeah, Wolfsburg will definitely, and even Chelsea, you know, you never know. Um, Chelsea can definitely be gotten at, especially with that back three. Um, but we won't go into much detail about that. But Abdullah, we've seen Emma Hayes deploy this three in the back, and it's worked against teams in the WSL. And we'll mention later in the episode against Leon, you know, another big team, um, maybe Barcelona as well, who who haven't really been challenged this season yet in their prospective leagues. Um, and it's kind of hard to gauge where teams are at before seeing them perform against these top European sides. In this case with Chelsea, how do you think this matchup will go? I think uh, this will be a really, really good test for Chelsea. I think I think they've played um, they played Arsenal already. We, we saw what happened there, and it was obviously a brand new system. A couple of games in, so you can kind of caveat that game by saying, "All right, yes, they lost three two, but you know, new system, and they still managed to score two goals." And like Jesse said, you know, we've discussed in the past, Chelsea this season seemed to be looking a lot more fluid, a lot better going forward. So. It's not so much of a worry about how they're going to perform going forward because worst case scenario, they're going to fall back on what they did last season. And that was already at a very, very high level, right? So I think realistically where the challenge and where the, what we need to, what we need to see and how we think this will go up, it'll be in, in midfield and defense because that's where they were caused, um, you know, more trouble. And kind of moving to this back three, it kind of involves the wingers, sorry, the wing backs a lot more. Now you actually have a, an option from the wide areas who will give you something different. Whereas last season, I don't think, um, I don't think the wing back or fullback were used as much. It was a, a very much a reliance on let's get the ball to the front three, let them figure, let them do something, and let them score the goals. And yes, you had the help from midfield and runners and all that, but. Realistically, it was it was all about the front three, and I think that this change in formation brings inherently brings in more players, more threats, and, and kind of just a different style of play altogether. And I'm kind of excited to see. And, and, and like like you like you said, regardless of how many players leave Wolfsburg, that team is still strong. They're still going to attract some good players. You know, Jill Ward is just a is just an example. So it'll be interesting to see how they do it and whether Wolfsburg, on the other hand, can maybe even take advantage on the counterattack behind the wingbacks because if Chelsea's wingbacks, if it's going to be Gura Wright and then Neem Charles, let's say, you know, and, and, and the white ears are Aaron Cuthbert, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether Wolfsburg can take advantage the other way and do what they did um, last season. So it'll, it'll be good to see. And I think, I think we've repeated this and we're going to look at this in the rest of the episode is it's all about, the how these big teams are going to fare against these top teams is it's almost like the first test that you finally get early on in the season in Europe and it'll be interesting to see whether how everybody does and I think that'll give us a good idea of which teams are prepared and which teams maybe need a little bit more time to develop their style for the season 
That's fair. And I think I do want to mention uh, Ewa Bajor from Wolfsburg, one of the big players, uh, goal scoring. Obviously, Rolfo left Wolfsburg for Barcelona. A bit of, I wouldn't say pressure, but it is, I don't know yet, Yasmina, what you what you think of Rolfo and, and leaving and kind of Ewa Bajor having that that weight on her shoulders to be the goal scorer. But also looking solely at Wolfsburg now, Jasmina, you know, they've gotten nine points from three games so far this season. And again, it's the same with Arsenal. It's the same with Chelsea. Well, not so much Chelsea and Arsenal because they have played each other and Arsenal played Man City. But like Barcelona, for example, it's not, again, as we keep mentioning, they're not really tested in the league as they will be against the likes of Chelsea or or just the Champions League in general. Um, But how do you think... Wolfsburg will fare this season both in the Champions League and in the Bundesliga? That's a tough question. Um, I wouldn't really like to predict, honestly, because they, the, the club itself doesn't really talk about season goals. Um, they talk more about the progress they're going to make this season and how they take it from game to game and not look too far ahead. And I think that's pretty clever because it doesn't build up too much pressure. And I and also, it depends on, on the players staying fit, especially now when I think about Eva Payor, who's dealing with knee problems. And she was out for a long time with knee problems in the past. So I hope she stays fit because she's now kind of the key figure in that Wolfsburg team. Um, they rely a lot on her in the game and um, as a person in general. So, yeah, I think it's realistic to say that Bayern are still favorites in the league. But I wouldn't rule out that Wolfsburg still remain a big challenge and um, claim that second spot. And in the Champions League, yeah, I like I said, I don't want to predict too much. I do think they will advance further in the group stage. And then it really depends, you know, how they develop. Yeah, like like I said, it, it's tough. It's tough. I don't want to <laughs> predict anything. Don't want to jinx anything. Yeah, but 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 still, you know, looking at the past and how many titles they won in the league in the German Cup and even in the Champions League how far they've got uh, gotten you can never rule them out especially considering how they always manage to win games when you're against them but they have that kind of mentality you know that just keeps keeps them going and that's why I will never say that they don't have have it in them anymore because they do yeah you can never rule them out just because that I think that experience in Champions League is we talked about it a lot last season in particular with Chelsea Emma Hayes I think uses it as an excuse sometimes uh, when she puts Chelsea in the, in the Champions League not necessarily an excuse but like, it's a lot down to experience um, sometimes it's true sometimes it's not but when you look at a team like Wolfsburg as you mentioned Jasmina they're a bit more unpredictable you can kind of give them the edge in a lot of situations because of that experience and, and the name that they have, you know, a team like Wolfsburg, as we keep mentioning, is never going to be a bad team. Um, maybe a bad team for their standards, but never a bad team in general. And that goes for any of the top teams that we keep mentioning in this podcast in the Champions League. Um, but Jesse, going back to Chelsea, we're kind of going back and forth here because of the ex- expertise that we have right now. How do you think Chelsea would fare this season in Europe? Can they reach the final again? Um, I would love to say yes, but I do just think that I don't really feel like Hayes has solved the defensive issues that we saw all the way through last season and I think you know Chelsea really rode their luck for a number of games actually you know I said before from the quarterfinals onwards but honestly even against in Atletico Madrid uh, in the round of 16 so I think as things stand I don't feel like I've seen enough evidence that this Chelsea side have created the solutions that would allow them to reach the final again. That being said, um, you know, Emma Hayes has 
managed to pull off strange things before last season, probably being case in point, you definitely wouldn't want to write off a Hayes team. I think something that I would really like to see from Chelsea, given that they obviously at this point are not, you know, they don't have fullback replacements is to see them think a bit more about what they do when they're in possession and how they keep hold of possession. We've really traditionally kind of thought of Hayes' sides as being high pressing, looking at high turnovers and also being a great counter-attacking side. But I think the problem is, is that Chelsea have clearly shown that they can't withstand high amounts of pressure. They just don't have the defence to do it right now. So I think if they are going to succeed in Europe this year, they all really need to be looking to try and dominate the ball against, you know, the very best teams in Europe. And I think that's, you know, going to be tricky for them given how they've played in the past, but I don't think it's beyond them. I think they've got more than enough technical players to do that. Um, But I think really that is going to have to be the approach they'll take because I just don't see them being able to withstand pressure and hit teams on the break like they did last season. Forward hat trick coming in the first match day number one in Champions League. I'm half joking, but watch it actually happen. That's going to be really funny. Jasmine, we're going to come back to Wolfsburg and this group again in the end of it, but we're kind of going to tap into your German football knowledge, um, which is better than ours, definitely. And we'll speak about Hoffenheim later in this podcast when we talk more about the Arsenal and Barcelona group. But you've been obviously more in and around Hoffenheim than than we are, even if you just watch those two games against Wolfsburg um, that they play against. But can you give us just a little bit more insight into Hoffenheim? Um, Jesse knows them a little bit better than than me and Abdullah also. Um, but I think we're, we're keen on the fact that Hoffenheim are a little bit underrated and perhaps a better side than most people think they are. Um, not They're not just another, you know, third place team and in, in kind of the outside of the top teams in Europe. So just wanted to get a bit more insight from you on them. I totally agree that they always get underestimated. And I always tell people like, this is not a one season thing. Like they have been in this position for the past few years already and always making further progress. And I was really curious to see how they would cope with um, losing key players again in Tapia Vasmut, Lena Ladwein, Maxi Rael, and then this, um, you know, competing in three competitions. That's something they haven't been able to experience before. But, you know, I think the fact they beat Milan and Rosengard sends a big message to the outside world that this is a team you need to count on, especially considering they have Nicole Biller, an absolute world-class striker, uh, Germany's player of the year. I'm really excited to see how she can um, not carry the team, but also lead this team, you know, because this is a whole new challenge and I'm, I'm really excited to see them. And I'm also so happy for them to be able to, to play in the Champions League. Like that's going to push them so much and give them a lot of confidence um, and they, they deserve it. I think off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure Germany is the only one with three teams in the competition left. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah so that, that that's, I mean, that's pretty big when you think about it. Uh, the fact that a team like Man City or even here, or just, you know, the Spanish league doesn't have it. No one else has it. Germany is the only one with three teams in the group stage. Um, so that's I think, really so, big. sorry if I, if I don't know, sorry if I <laughs> I mean, I know if you look at look at it, this is a tough group for them. But I think for Hoffenheim, it's more about the experience, you know, playing against teams like Barcelona and Arsenal. That's an experience they need also, you know, that's that's something that helps the player. And I'm so excited to see, you know, what they can do and how this will also help them in the Bundesliga and in the German Cup, because that's always been, you know, between Bayern Munich and Wolfsburg still. So that's that's really going to push them, that's going to help them. And um, yeah, like I said, so happy for them. 
Jesse said that they were going to lead the the ultras, the Hoffenheim ultras in, in Boreham when they come to London. <laughs> That's awesome. Eula yeah. Brand, Eula Brand. <laughs> oh my goodness, like what a talent, you know, and she's still so young, but also so complete already. That's just incredible to look at the squad and how they always manage to still be able to compete on this level, you know, even though they lose players, key players, because they move to Bayern or to Wolfsburg. Um, they still always manage to bring people in, mostly youth players. I mean, we had this discussion uh, with Manchester City earlier <laughs> that it can work if you bring up your youth players, you know. Good yeah, example with Hoffenheim. Yeah, it's interesting that you speak about the Man City and Academy because we had a whole discussion on, on the WSL thing. But that's a whole other discussion. But Jasmine, <laughs> I'm going to pester you again with another German team, obviously Bayern Munich. You mentioned them earlier, saying that maybe they still have the edge on Wolfsburg this season in the Bundesliga. But yeah, it kind of like it, they knocked out Wolfsburg finally from that Bundesliga throne last season. But yeah, how do you see Bayern Munich this season? And do you think, you kind of answered it before, do you, but do you really think that they're going to be able to keep up that momentum that they gained last season? Oh, absolutely. They have an incredible team still. And, um, you know, I think they're favorites to win the league. Uh, maybe even favorites to challenge um, Wolfsburg in that German Cup. And also what really impressed me is that Bayern prepared really well, you know, in the prior to the season, playing the tournaments against really big teams, challenging them, challenging uh, Lyon, and I think that that's that's really an experience they needed in order to also advance further in the Champions League because that's kind of what's been missing in the past. You know, that last step in the Champions League to really advance on the top and uh, be among the best teams. And I think this season they have it all, and um, I think they 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 have the ability to to um, even win the Champions League, like um, I'm even going that far, that they have the team, they have the coaches, the staff, everything works great. They're really putting a lot of effort into the women's team and, you know, making sure they have everything they need to to do their job and be successful. And I think this can really be the season where a lot of people would be like, oh, this Bayern team is really, really good. I have that Zadrazil goal against Chelsea. They're just like ingrained in my head. That was so, <laughs> so... Oh, that was so good. I literally just, just have it. I, I replay it at least once a week in my head. I promise it's, you. It's, it's really incredible nice. how balanced <laughs> this team also is. It's not just one goal scorer. It's like, if I think of Hannah Glass, Zalassi, they have so many players that can be really dangerous and score. And I think that's really important because it makes them unpredictable. And there's like so many players you need to take care of as an opponent. And I think that's really playing in their favor. Yeah. And then you obviously have a, a player like Kumagai coming in from Lyon, uh, which is ridiculous to have in your midfield but last question for Abdullah before uh, we go into kind of our group predictions Jasmine I'll give you a little bit of ponder of, of that one between Chelsea and, and Wolfsburg um, but Abdullah Chelsea have the highest number of key passes and third highest crosses in the WSL uh, we've spoken about kind of Wolfsburg and and Chelsea and even like Bayern Munich and, and going far from the group stage apart from that how much more of a threat are the fullback wingbacks in this kind of new style of play that Emma Hayes has installed with three in the back and kind of all these stats that go around it, how do you think that's going to fare? I think I think I think I alluded to it a little bit earlier. I think they're going to be a 
a lot bigger of a threat, and and I think they will give they will give width, and I think I think sometimes that was probably uh, lacking last year. I don't think you know. I think now there is a consistent player who's going to overlap, especially on the left side when you've got Gur right and who wants to stay wide and wants to get in good crosses, and when you've got that combination of Penny Lahadas cutting inside and and, and Gur right and overlapping, I feel like now teams will have to worry about two, three different threats rather than, okay, the ball's going to go to harder, Kirby or Kerr, and we have to stop the interchange there. It's difficult, no doubt, but they kind of know what's coming. Whereas now you can get the ball to like the half space and then you can, you know, as, as a player, whether it's a G or a Lloyd Bulls or an Ingle, you can decide, okay, do I want to get the ball out in a, over, to the overlapping fullback, wingback, or do I want to take it inside or do I want to switch the, the side to the other side? And I think that unpredictability, I think, is going to be uh, very important and key. And I was just kind of looking at um, the, the Wolfsburg-Bordeaux game from the qualifiers. And when, when Bordeaux had won that game 3-2, all three of Wolfsburg's goals originate uh, well, the Bordeaux's goals rather all originated from from Wolfsburg's wide areas on the left and right depend well it all started with whether they want the ball back whether the ball was passed out and came inside or whatever it was so if that's the case that Bordeaux could do that you know I'm, I'm thinking Chelsea are going to look back at the tape and, and probably use that as a as an idea saying okay maybe we can target well you know Wolfsburg in the wide areas and see if we can explore it there and that's where again I think the wingbacks might just become even more important as a, as a, as a way of supplying the forge or creating something out of nothing when they, when they need it. We're, we do group predictions every time around, even though it is a bit predictable, the top two teams. So if you want to expand a bit more on, on kind of the points and what you expect from Chelsea Wolfsburg in particular, because that's probably going to be the biggest kind of that biggest match that has a name of, of who's going to finish first, who's going to finish second. So after what Abdullah said um, in terms of exploiting the wings, but also, as we mentioned, also Wolfsburg exploited that for Chelsea last season. And if Chelsea are playing three in the back, perhaps they get a bit more of pleasure from that. So Unpredictability, I think, is a good a good way to describe both teams in this case, as Abdullah mentioned, as you mentioned, Jasmina, in terms of quality and players coming in and coaching staff. Unpredictable, but that can go either way. So we're going to go with your prediction last, Jasmina, and Jesse, Group A predictions. I think Chelsea will top the group, but I can see Wolfsburg taking at least some points off them, um, potentially with a draw. But I do think Chelsea might just have a little bit too much for Wolfsburg, kind of having seen how open they can be like against Bordeaux. So I'll go Chelsea 1, Wolfsburg 2, Juve 3, Servet 4. Abdullah? Yeah, I agree. I think I think it'll be a it'll be a close group. I think Wolfsburg definitely have the the talent to, to take points away from Chelsea. So I don't think it'll be a very easy game. I, I actually think it this is one of those games where I think it'll go down to the last five, ten minutes before we either see a winning goal or a goal that, that draws the game. So I'll say Chelsea first, Wolfsburg second, Juventus third, and Servette's fourth. Jasmina, million dollar question. There's nothing to add. Like <laughs> my prediction as well. And I can even maybe see a draw between one game, Chelsea Wolfsburg, but I try not to expect too much. I'm really just excited to see how this Wolfsburg team um, progresses the time and yeah, how they remain in the group and um, in the league as well. I think that's the best way to go about things in football. No expectations. You can't be disappointed. So that's easiest. Uh, but yeah, that, that concludes this section on Group A. We'd like to 
thank Jasmine again for coming on, especially when you're a bit sick. Uh, we appreciate the commitment to, to coming on the pod and, and talking about Wolfsburg. But yeah, thank you again. And we'll probably hear from you again on this podcast. Always happy to be here. Thank you so much for asking me. And that concludes part one of our Women's Champions League episode. Part two will be coming shortly with two more guests in that one. We hope you enjoyed and we hope you listen to the next one. Thank you. Thank you.